You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video for the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. O Master who loves mankind, illuminate our hearts with the pure light of your divine knowledge and open the eyes of our mind to understand the teachings of your holy scriptures. Instill in us also the fear of your blessed commandments that we may overcome all carnal desires, entering upon a spiritual life and understanding and acting in all things according to your holy will. For you are the enlightenment of our souls and bodies, O Christ God, and to you we give glory together with your eternal Father and your holy, gracious, and life-giving Spirit, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome back to everyone coming in here. Annie Mitchell, how are you doing? I am doing great, Father Hezekiah. It's good to see you again. It's 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 good to it's good to be seen, Annie. It's a blessing to be with you uh, this beautiful day as we prepare ourselves for the 31st Sunday in Ordinary Time um and uh uh continue our our journey to jerusalem or alongside we're getting our, closer alongside, we're, getting, we're getting awfully close to jerusalem i think i think and it's alongside our journey to bethlehem so it's very nice uh, yeah. this all works out and it comes together very nicely here in the city of uh jericho in the gospel text and of course we have to prepare for that coming of Jesus into Jericho through the Old Testament reading. So let's go ahead and give Annie, give us our, our biblical texts. Yeah. So our first reading for this weekend is from the book of wisdom. We're starting at chapter 11, verse 22 and reading through chapter 12, verse two. The responsorial Psalm is Psalm 145. The gospel this weekend is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, and the epistle is St. Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 11 through chapter 2, verse 2. Bingo. Bingo. So get out your Bibles and head to the Book of Wisdom. The Book of Wisdom. All right. I'm You're turning ready? there, Annie. Turning there? I'm going to find it here eventually. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. The All right. Here we wisdom, go. The wisdom Chapter of Solomon. Mm -hmm. Yes. Go ahead. Chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 22 is where we are starting off. Yep. All right. Here we go. Before the Lord, the whole universe is as a grain from a balance or a drop of morning dew come down upon the earth. But you have mercy on all because you can do all things and you overlook people's sins that they may repent for you love all things that are and loathe nothing that you have made for what you hated you would not have fashioned and how could a thing remain unless you willed it or be preserved had it not been called forth by you but you spare all things because they are yours O lord and lover of souls for your imperishable spirit is in all things. Therefore, you rebuke offenders little by little, warn them and remind them of the sins they are committing. 
that they may abandon their wickedness and believe in you, O Lord. So quite a beautiful it reading it that we have here from from the book of wisdom i guess just because we've um we've read the book from the book of wisdom a couple of times um in recent months but can you just remind us of the basics that we need to know um yeah uh, well i mean first of all Annie, as, as you're reading it there i was like who does that sound like who does that sound like the way the way the questions are put and the points are put isn't that augustine's though yeah i was i was well i thought at first you were going to ask me where in the bible does and i was like no. it's, yeah augustine it sounds exactly. like augustine's right. confessions because augustine yeah, was biblically literate <laughs> okay imagine that this is very beautiful saint <laughs> paul says we are to speak to one another in psalms uh uh psalms and 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 what's his what's he say yeah i should have had that in front of me but before i tried to <laughs> say paul but do you see what i'm saying so, and, and 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 so so the 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 uh the language of scriptures should be our language it should be the what we are constantly speaking and saying to each other because everything that is around us is reminding us of the scriptures you know i did this yesterday uh, over the weekend with a parishioner of mine who said father i can't be at vespers this evening because we're finishing the roof on our barn so i texted him the thing about the rich man who like built more barns in there for <laughs> so, you know and i was very proud of myself because i was like oh look I'm, I'm i'm responding and you know biblical you know but that's what we should be doing on a regular basis is that the words of scripture should be flowing from our mouth and this is exactly what the great saints did so in augustine's writing the book of wisdom's flowing out of them yeah, yeah so i encourage really. everybody to go back and read the opening and this is a is it the prelude or is it chapter one? I, I can't remember of, of the confessions, but it's very beautiful. And um, and uh, he's, he speaks in these terms. So anyways, I just wanted to bring that that up. But you, you, what was your question, Annie? Just a little refresher on the Book of Wisdom. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's debate as to when this book was written, whether it was written by Solomon himself or whether it was attributed to Solomon because, you know, you attribute your work to great people in those days to make it you know, whatever, but here, yeah. and, and I think this is what I said before, and that is that there's certain aspects of this book, which do seem to be that, that would give a late date to it just, just before the coming of Christ. And as I was doing a little bit of reading before we got on, there's certain verses that indicate that it may have been written even in Egypt, in the diaspora, maybe even after the Septuagint was translated. But regardless of the, of, of whether it was written down by Solomon or not, I do believe that we can follow the wisdom of the fathers who believe that Solomon did actually write it and say that regardless of whether the form we receive it in was written by Solomon or whether they were sayings which came from Solomon, regardless, they they the whole book speaks of a common experience of mankind, which is why Solomon is so great because he was, yes, well, we can talk about the wisdom of Solomon. We can also talk about the sins of Solomon. And the challenges and difficulties faced in his life, which were very similar to the difficulties which the Jews faced in the first century before the coming of Christ. And that is, he's surrounded by paganism, and he's being enticed to that way of life by all that's around him, right? And so that whether that's that's the Jew in Egypt in the century before the coming of Christ, or whether it's Solomon surrounded by his, what, 700 concubines and 300 wives or whatever the opposite. Anyways, and, and all of the pagan temples he had built on the Mount of Olives and so forth, the similar situation is taking place. And of course, 
It's a similar situation that all of mankind faces, whether you're in pagan Egypt, whether you're in the days of Solomon, or whether you're living in, two, two, in, in, in California, <laughs> 2022, exactly. <laughs> and actually, this text is, is, is super helpful and suitable in, in kind of two ways in that for us today. And I would say because we oftentimes are blind to the gift of God that's around us, and this text helps us to renew that attention to that gift but also enticed as we are by all of the pleasures of this world, which become idols for us. And so, of course, I oftentimes refer back to Antonio Fuentes, Fuentes. in his book, The Guide of the Bible. And um, and in this particular section, he, re- he reminds us that the book of wisdom is divided into three sections. And the third section is starts in chapters uh, 10, in which God's people, I mean, it's applicable to the whole book, but really in in chapter 10 and following in the book of wisdom, the author is reminding Israel of what God has done for them. And you can kind of pick that up. If you open up, look at chapter 10, or even go back to to chapter 9, verse 1. O God of my fathers and Lord of mercy. So referring back then to the fathers, right, of 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 the author, looking back, not just like my father, but right? Abraham and what God has done for his people primarily during the time of the Exodus. And you'll pick that up there in chapter 10, verse 17 and following. Um, She, speaking of wisdom, gave to holy men the reward of their labors. She guided them along a marvelous way and became a shelter to them by day and a starry flame through the nights. She brought them over the Red Sea and led them through the deep waters. She drowned their enemies and cast them up from the depths of the sea. You see, so return yeah, to the, referring yeah. to the time of the Exodus. So this whole section of the book from chapter 10 and following is this kind of remembrance, uh, the calling to the people, the remembrance of what God has done for them and for them to remember that and to realize that all of this around them is a created gift. Yeah, and here's how Fuentes says it. He says the third part, written uh, chapters 10 through 19, written in a very original style, speaks of the magnificence of wisdom as demonstrated by the history of the chosen people, okay? And then talks in terms of, in, in our thing, about giving time for repentance, yeah? And how the foolish treat that time and how those that are called by God and are filled with the wisdom of God treat that time that they realize their own sins as Solomon did and repent of those ways versus the foolish one who is not filled with the wisdom of God, who then turns to those things God has done in his life and those gifts God has given him and makes idols out of them, right? Um, And Fuentes points to a text that I pointed to last time, which is St. Paul's letter to the Romans chapters 1, all of chapter one, but verse 24 and following in which he says, look, they made idols for themselves out of the created things of God and worshiped them. And then God gave them over to their own sins and they became homosexuals. Basically that's what St. Paul says, right? So, so, uh, so um, because they become confused about nature. And so this text in wisdom speaks to those who are called to wisdom and says, look, if you're going to be wise about things, number one, realize that there is one true God who created all of these things. And all of these things are now a gift to you to be used in their relationship for as they're meant to be made, as they're meant to be used by the creator and in relationship with him. So we see this beautiful, this beautiful thing. God loves all things. He fashioned 
and there's nothing evil that he made, right? But it's all made by him. And then, and then he gives us time to be rebuked little by little, right? For our sins and allows us to abandon our wickedness so that we might believe in God. And so time is given to us according to the wisdom of Solomon. Time is given to us and also suffering is given to us as an opportunity and as a gift, right? So all things are a gift from God if we receive them in that way. I mean, this is one of the the basis verses for why the church would prefer to not have capital punishment, right? To offer the prisoner time to repent. Didn't we speak about this last week? I think it was a couple of weeks ago that, 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 that the church has always, it's not a matter of capital punishment or not capital punishment. Okay. And I'll tell you why, because capital punishment has always in the history of the church. I know this is going to be a point of friction because I know that Pope Francis's thing regarding capital sure, punishment. So forth. Yeah. But yeah. let's just set that aside for a second. I can come back to it. The church has always defended the right of society to use capital punishment, but not as retribution. That's the key. That all punishment, all punishment, whether it be my son, whether it be with the murderer in prison, whether it be capital punishment, all punishment is restorative justice, right? That, that, that we always seek for the restoration of the other person. And even then capital punishment in a society that cannot financially, um, that, well, two reasons, it cannot keep somebody in prison and cannot police them in such a way, okay, right. then capital punishment, punishment was used. But even then, for the restoration of the person, the person certainly knows they're going to die, right? That's true. And says, you're dying on this day. Therefore, you better get your, your life right. Right. Um, and so whatever's going on there with the catechism and things like that, as far as, as, as I think what Pope Francis is getting at is that we live in a very wealthy society. And so we should give people the opportunity throughout their life to repent. Yeah. But regardless of that point, that's not the point of wisdom here. The point of wisdom that is, is being said is that regarding time, regarding the created things, listen to Didymus the Blind, who says this God, in fact, comforts and exalts those who are saved and lifts the redeemed on wings of virtue toward the most sublime heights, okay? So the person who, who repents um, is then lifted, is, 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 is not so much that they're not going to suffer anymore, but that their suffering was a gift to them because they used it, which is an objective evil, right? Suffering, sickness, illness. They used it is an opportunity for virtue and they're lifted up not through uh, necessarily physical relief, but they're lifted up through the wings of virtue. Yeah. St. Leo, the great says this, says something, whoever finds the healing of correction to be difficult should flee to the mercy of God for help and beg that the chains of evil habit be broken away from them. You see that? Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. So again, whoever finds the healing of correction, so suffering, to be difficult, should flee the, to the mercy of God and beg, not that the correction be taken away, but that it be that they be, in, in in being corrected, their habits. Yeah. Are then corrected. Well, yeah, because you don't yeah. have to get corrected after that. If you correct it, 
Yeah, ex- right. right. And then for, for the Lord lifts up all who collapse and raises up all who are broken down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, isn't that beautiful? So we, we realize then that this time that was given to us is, is, is for this very thing and we've attained it. And that is the repentance of our sins. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess reading it in light of the fact, like if we if we do take Solomon as as the author or at least the inspiration, I think that kind of opens like he has been corrected, I guess, that he even has this wisdom to share. No, exactly. No, exactly, exactly. So um, what's my so what's Father Hezekiah's is like takeaway for all of you guys listening to this, and that is go out and smell the roses that's what wisdom is saying right um and um i just i'm gonna just read a couple of the verses but you have mercy on all because you can you can do all things you overlook people's sins that they that they may repent for you love all things that are and loathe nothing that you have made for what you hated you would not have fashioned how could a thing remain unless it is willed or preserved had it not been called forth by you and 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 so and what St. Paul is saying in Romans so beautifully is exactly to stop and smell the roses and be called up to the one who made them. Yeah, and glorify God in his in the created order and how important that is for us that we become attentive to the things which are the most necessary. We're going to get this theme now bam right in our face in the gospel text because the one who is crowded about by all the concerns of this world in the gospel text is freed and then begins to see the most important thing or the most important one of all. Of course, I'm speaking of Solomon. And so this process when the church is saying is, is a slowdown, begin to realize the most important things of life. And that the time you've been given is a time for repentance, to go to holy confession, to begin to live a life of communion with God. And to set aside all those things which normally are a distraction and can lead to, as St. Saint, Saint Paul says, to make the things of our life idols and begin to worship them and then fall into a moral collapse. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful theme that we see um, coming together here. We see it in the, the psalm as well, Psalm 145, where he says, look, it's a famous line, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great of kindness. Mm-hmm. That's it. Let all your works give you thanks, O Lord, and let your faithful ones bless you. Let them discourse of the glory of the kingdom and speak of your might. When's the last time you discoursed of the glory of God's kingdom? Right? right. That's what we need to be doing. And the only way to do that is to set aside the stupid phone and to turn off the CNN and to go out there and go pick a blade of grass and look at it and then realize the gift. I, I, you know, one of the moments of my own conversion back to the church that was really important was I was, I was sitting in a, in a restaurant of all things, waiting for some food I had ordered to, to go. And I had, I had scratched my hand. I think I've shared this with you before. And I'd scratch, I had like a cut on my hand but it was healing. And I realized that it was healing. You know, you work all day, you cut your hand and whatever. And then three days later, or four days later, five days later, you're, it goes away and you forget about it. 
But in this moment, God allowed me to be attentive to that, that scratch and how my hand was healing and the miracle of healing that was taking place right in front of me. But we become, we become blind to all of these gifts God has given us, including the gift of time. And we begin to misuse time and misuse these gifts. And ultimately, oftentimes, oftentimes we become angry in our life because we're, we've, we remember the, 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 the Samaritan who was healed of the 10, right? With the le- leprosy, yeah. the father of the church that said the, re- the other nine committed the sin of, of ungrateful forgetfulness, yeah. right? Wasn't that it? Ungrateful yeah, forgetfulness. Yeah. And that's how we become. And we, and then we begin to think we have everything by right. And when things aren't there the way they should be, we become angry. Mm-hmm. Instead of that, we need to reverse that process in our lives, become attentive to the good things of this world, including the time God has given us, including our sufferings, and begin to say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In all aspects, every day of our life, every moment of our life, thank you, Jesus, until we become not an angry person, but a Eucharistic person, a person filled with thanksgiving. You know, from when you said that a couple of weeks ago in our conversation, I have since started making, if the kids miss the prayer before the meal, I'll make them say, say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. There you You got me on it, Father. It was a great idea. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Love it. Love it. Try to teach them to be Eucharistic people. So shall uh, we move into uh, Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19, verse 1, right? Verse 1 through 10. We made it to a new chapter. I know. (laughs) It's amazing. We actually... Well, I'm going to bring this up, but we actually, we skip over quite a bit in uh, Luke chapter 18 that maybe yeah, you yeah, can yeah. comment on once we, uh, yep. once we read this part first. Yep. All right, here we go. Verse one from chapter 19. At that time, Jesus came to Jericho and intended to pass through the town. Now, a man there named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and also a wealthy man, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But he could not see him because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When he reached the place, Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, for today I must stay at your house. And he came down quickly and received him with joy. When they all saw this, they began to grumble, saying, He has gone to stay at the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I shall give to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I shall repay it four times over. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a descendant of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save what was lost. Nice. I mean, obviously just an incredible, wonderful story that we have to dive in here. Um, But like I said, so we left off uh, last week in Luke chapter 18, the last verse that we read was verse 14. And mm-hmm. so there's a, a pretty good chunk of, of that chapter 18 in Luke that we skip over to get there. So mm-hmm. is there anything important that we should know about that happened between uh, then and now? 
Well, there's a lot. And obviously we can't go back and do all this because I can't believe they skip all this big section I know, right? of such good, juicy stuff. And it breaks the thread of an edifying tale. So we have to go back and reconnect the thread, if you will, a little bit here. To remind, last week we were talking about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? They went in right. the temple, one prayed, thank God I'm not like that sin, mm-hmm. you know, tax collector over there. And the tax collector says, have mercy upon me, the sinner, right? Which is the basis of what we call the Jesus prayer, which is known right. in the Christian East. Maybe some of you know it. Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy upon me, the sinner, which is kind of this this basis for praying always that when we we uh, aren't distracted with other things, we return to this prayer of the of the publican, the prayer of the tax collector, oh, Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy upon me, the sinner. Um, and now we add in right away, uh, an additional group of people that are hanging around that we haven't talked about. Ah, We've got to talk about them for yes. a second because his father Hezekiah is hobby horse. Uh, oh. And that's the kids, right? Yeah. They're heading down, as we've seen now, over and over ad nauseum in these Bible studies that Jesus is heading to Jerusalem and he's got a big group of, of people with him, right? And now we can add another group of people that are traveling with Jesus, right? Because he's he's coming down. We've said this so many times. He's coming all the way from Galilee, heading down, and you can do pull up the map here, right? He was up in here in Galilee, Capernaum on the west coast of the sea, doing some healings after the transfiguration. He went back into that area. He comes back down now the Jordan River uh, Valley, all the way down to the city of Jericho. So n- now you can see he's like, what is he, a day's journey out, right? This is the big climb now. They're not looking yeah, forward to this part to because yeah. they're going to go down to the Jordan River. They're going to take a bath because they're going to start sweating really bad heading up <laughs> the mountain. But, be, but they walk through Jericho, which is a little oasis. You go there today and there's palm trees and all this stuff. And it's really this beautiful little oasis in the middle of hell, right? I mean, yeah. it's, the, it's, the, <laughs> it's the West Bank, right? You guys understand that what the West Bank is, it's the West Bank of the Jordan River in which the Jews in 1948, when they drove out the Palestinians from their towns, the Palestinians were dropped off literally they they take them in trucks and drop them off at the west side of the jordan river and deli- leave them there because you just can't even live and you have to you have to make it through places like jericho to be able to survive so he heads in there it's a little town a little city of people gathered there and uh um and 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 he's there and but on the way of course this these in, there's a couple stories that happen that we skip. You got to go back and read them in chapter 18. The first one is the kids, right? So there's all this throngs of people traveling with the the rock star, and and a lot of them have kids because they're not contracepting, right? So right. Like, you know, there are kids everywhere, and the and they and and now Jesus is sitting down with the with the tax collectors, with the prostitutes, with all the create all the people that are hanging out in the West Bank. And, and now, and, and then of course, there's the groups of the Pharisees and the rulers of the Jews and so forth that are also crowded around. And then there's the apostles and the friends of Jesus who are close to him. And then there's these kids running around screaming, just like at church on Sunday, right? Amazing. And, um, yeah. and so what is, what do the apostles do? They're like, okay, you know, it's one thing with the tax collectors to come and sit down <laughs> with Jesus and, and all the sinners and these little stinking you know, rug rats are going to come and bother him. And he's, and it's, and, and we're heading to Jerusalem. It's getting serious. It's getting intense. We know what's going on and get these kids out of here. We got important things to do. And what does Jesus say? 
I want to kiss the, little the babies. Ones. It's right there. Chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. Okay. Let the children come to me. Verse 16. Let the children come to me. And do not hinder them. In one of the other gospels, it says um, the Greek text is babies. Okay. Mm, so, so it's nice. not just like seven-year-olds. Okay. No. The babies. Let them all come to me, is what he says. Um, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the, the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so now he's got all the children running around. And I just say this because in the Byzantine tradition, we actually give communion to infants on the day of their baptism. And they receive communion then the rest of their life as long as they're prepared to do so. Um, and I think we need uh, to have a realization that the children need to be coming forward to Jesus, whether in the Roman church, you give communion to them or not, they need to be, they're an important part of the community. They need to be drawing close. And uh, I do believe that that practice is a beautiful one, that they receive a little bit of the precious blood on a golden spoon. So for those that want to go research that more, you're welcome to do so. That's my little bit of hobby horse. I'm going to move on. Well, that's why the Western bishops aren't doing it. No, I'm just kidding. Right. right that's right. why we skipped over this reading. Right. We didn't right. want too many questions. Exactly. No, 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 no. I don't think so. Okay. And then you have chapter 18, verse 18. Now, this is important because it helps us understand chapter 19, verse 1. Because we now set up the story with two rich people. One guy who Jesus says, you got to be willing to come with me. And now, but, but context is key. They're heading toward Jerusalem. And the apostles have left their homes. Literally, they walked away from Galilee for what they probably figured was the last time because they know what's coming. Pretty much they know what's coming. They don't understand. They may not understand the resurrection yet, as it says here, but they know that Jesus is going to get himself in trouble and they're hanging around with them and they're getting nervous, right? So we get that thing right here when Jesus says to the ruler, chapter 18, verse 18, the ruler asks him, good teacher, what must I do in a hair eternal life? Um, and then later on, Jesus says in verse 22, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Because here's what's going on is there's groups of people traveling Jesus that are not really, they're hanging on the outskirts, right? Here's a rich guy who's a Jew. He's been over in the enemy camp, 10 feet away from Jesus behind his back as though God doesn't know what he's saying. And, and he's a righteous Jew, right? And so he's following all the commandments, but he's never broken through to really become a disciple of Jesus, right? And so, um, and so, um, but whereas the apostles have, they've given it all up, if you will. They dropped their nets, if you will. And so Jesus in verse 24 says, um, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this, we have to talk about this for a second. And this, this Bible study is going to get too long, but the eye of the needle, of course, is always explained in different ways. But those who have been to Jerusalem with me will know because we walked, we've gone through the eye of the needle. And that is in the ancient cities, there was always next to the gate of the city, a little hole in the wall of the city so that a person could get through without their stuff on so that uh, so that if the city was going to be attacked at night, the soldiers or guys couldn't get all their equipment through to attack the city. And it could only go through one at a time. So it's a safe portal for those that found themselves traveling who didn't get to the next city in time. They close the gates at night. They lock them up. They put out the gunners on the top of the thing. No, not the gunners, but the, you know, the arrows. And then, and then 
And then guys are fleeing. They're going to get robbed by the people that are outside the city can get through that hole and get in. But in order to do that, they got to get off their camel. They got to unload. They got to say, none of it's important, but my life and my life alone. And they get through that that thing and they get into the safety of the city, right? Which is going to help us also understand the story of Zacchaeus, who's loaded down with with stuff, right? And this guy who's also loaded down with stuff and the difference between the two, okay? So I'm gonna pull a picture of this. Here it is. Here's the picture you see on your screen of the gate that Jesus walked through. It's called the gate of final appeal of last appeal in which uh, it was the last moment when a citizen of Rome could have objected to Jesus's sentence and appealed to a higher authority, but everybody remained silent. And he walked through this gate. It's just right near Golgotha. And um, he walked through this gate and you can still, they've uncovered it. It's underneath the Russian convent. Can't, I when The first time I went there, my head blew off. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It's the actual gate that Jesus walked through, the remnants of it. And there on the post is a hole in the wall that one person, you can see this guy going through. I've gone through it. I take off my backpack to get through. And I always hear confessions right there. And if we hear hear the confession and the words of absolution, have the people walk climb through that hole. It's very cool. And then from there, we go to Golgotha to the cross. Wow. Okay. And so that's that famous passage there. And of course the apostles say, Jesus, we've left everything. Right. And notice what's coming out stronger and stronger in these passages, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Yeah. Right. How can I inherit this kingdom, which is to come? And then, and then verse 29 and he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no man who has left house, wife, brother, parent, children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive manifold more in this time and in the age of the, uh, to come in eternal life. Because they're heading to Jerusalem. They're heading to the throne city. The apostles are still thinking, are we going to be the first one? Are we going to, I mean, they want to kill you, but we know you're the king. We know you're the Messiah, right? So very confused. Notice verse 31. And taking the 12, he said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written of the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit on and they will scourge him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. And it says they didn't understand. They weren't in fully grasp everything he was saying. So they're notice again, confusion. This is all the context of Zacchaeus. But the context of what's going on around him, and I hope these Bible studies have helped you understand that to get inside the picture of the struggle that the apostles are going through, that Jesus, when he says this, is not just making some great declaration for you in 2022 sitting on your in your sofa, you know. No, he's speaking to the apostles who are struggling, and he begins to reveal to them what's happening. They can't quite grasp it. Because who do rise from the dead? What are you talking about, Jesus? Nobody rises from the dead. Okay, and as he drew near near to Jericho and then he meets the blind man, has this healing, and then we enter into the city. Uh, I love going there, by the way, to this location, seeing the tree, the remnants of it, the tree that Zacchaeus climbed. It's in a monastery. Most tourists don't go there, but I always take my group there. And it's um, there's the tree is kind of broken down and uh, it's in a plexiglass case. I got in it one time. And I was Ooh. able to get a big chunk of this tree of Zacchaeus, which really? I have in my prayer corner in my home. Yeah, it's wow. very beautiful. And I always try to give people that go to the Holy with me a little splinter of it to take. I always take it out of a box and splinter it up a little bit. But anyways, 
That's so cool. If I haven't done that for you and you've gone to the Holy Land with me, call me and I'll send you a little piece of the tree of Zacchaeus. He goes in here and we have the story of Zacchaeus, which we just read. So let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, okay. So why are they grumbling about Zacchaeus? I mean, I don't know about you, Father, but like the images and like my old Sunday school books and things show this you know, cute little short man climbing the tree, smiling. Why is everybody so upset that Jesus is going to go stay at his house? Well, you, I think you know the answer to that, Annie, and that is he's a tax collector. We've been saying this many times. The tax collectors were Jews, right? They were traitors to the Romans. And so now Jesus is going to go be friends with them again. And that's going all the way back. You see the unity here, all the way back to that meal that he had at that ruler, the ruler's house right? Where the Pharisees and all the righteous guys, and, and, and now we get this guy who, who comes to the, before the Lord in chapter 18 and says, and can't, can't walk away from all of his riches. And now we Zacchaeus, who's been stealing from these people, right? And so Zacchaeus is a hated man. And Jesus comes as the superstar who's calling people to repentance. And the idea that he's going to go sit down with, with Zacchaeus is like, it's horrible, you know, but I got, I got to tell you, you know, imagine this conversation, right? Like imagine Mrs. Mrs. Zacchaeus. <laughs> I get, I get this as a priest and I, cause I, during, after, after theophany, after the feast of the baptism of the Lord in January, in our Byzantine tradition, the priest goes around and blesses everybody's home every year. So I spent like a month driving around. I, invariably I call somebody and they forgot I was coming. Or I didn't tell them. And I say, hey, Frank, I'm down the street. You know, I'm going to come visit you. And he, and you hear this kind of like, oh, and he starts talking to his wife behind the seat. Clean up the front. Clean up. The priest is here. You know? And so, uh, yeah, the, I can imagine the conversation would have been rather oh rather gosh, interesting with yeah. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus and his wife. But, but the fathers of the church don't do that. The fathers of the church reading this text focus primarily on the desire that Zacchaeus has the desire that he has, it just that kind of draws him up that tree. Okay. I've got a beautiful quotation for you from St. Theophlact. You never heard of St. Theophlact, Ooh. but here he is. Yeah. From uh, father Hezekiah. Okay. Anyone who is chief as Zacchaeus was the chief of publicans and tax collectors. Anyone who is chief among many in wickedness is little in spiritual stature. So this I love about the fathers. Look, it's not so much as Zacchaeus was short of stature, but he was a sinner. Yeah? yeah. As St. Luke tells us, Zacchaeus was. Okay, so, so I'm sorry, I cut that off. Is, is little in spiritual stature, as St. Luke tells us, Zacchaeus was. Crowded in by a multitude of passions and worldly affairs, he is not able to see Jesus. Such a man, and, and I think now back to chapter 18, and the, the guy who could not go through the eye of the needle, right? Such a man, okay, such a man cannot see Jesus passing by, will sometimes change from negligence and come to his senses. Then he will climb up to the top of the sycamore fig, passing by every pleasure and sweetness. So in other words, the tree's loaded down with fruit. Yeah. Zacchaeus has got to, got to move beyond those things in his life. Mm. 
beyond every pleasure and sweetness as signified by the figs and counting them as foolish and dead, becoming higher than he was and making ascent not to the top of a tree, but in his heart. He is seen by Jesus and can and can see Jesus for himself. And the Lord can say to him, make haste and come down, for I must abide in your home. That is your heart today. Yeah. So, so, so here's this important, important thing about what's going on in Zacchaeus' life and applicable to us and applicable to the Old Testament book of wisdom. And that is that to desire something, you have to taste it. You have to know it, right? You can't desire something you don't know. I don't know my you know, cup of coffee exists. If I don't know that coffee exists, I can't actually want it, right? I don't know yeah. it exists. How could I want something? How, how do you come to desire something? You have to come to know it, either by the witness of somebody else who says, taste this, this is really good, right? Or by you coming to taste it over and over again to build up that desire for it, yeah? I remember the first time I had a dry glass of red wine as a kid. I was like, Oh, I didn't have a whole glass of sip, right? From my dad's glass. Oh, dad, it's, it's like bitter. It's gross, right? Are but you as embarrassed you, by that statement nowadays? No, no. <laughs> I probably wish I thought it was more gross than I do. So, but now, you know, as you mature and you taste it many times as a child, you're growing up and you, and now you can sit down to a nice glass of red wine, actually enjoy the dryness of a Cabernet or something like that, Right. Well, it's similar in the spiritual life that we have to taste the goods in order to build up a desire and a love for them, right? Or we have to have people around us that point us in the right way and say, taste that, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, and so going back to that book of wisdom and, and St. Paul's teaching, in fact, I've been talking about St. Paul, let's turn there real quick because he says this exact thing in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter one. Um, I know I go to this passage a lot, but verse 19, chapter one, Romans, are you there, Annie? I'm there. Romans chapter one, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for ever since the creation of the world is invisible nature, namely as eternal power and deity has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Okay. So, so, so um, uh, Solomon in, in the book of wisdom says that everything that is created is bears divine life, right? Is, is charged with divine life. So if we come to the created things of this world to open our eyes to the gift of, of air that we're breathing and the ground we're standing on and the stars in the sky and the, the sun and the moon and all of these wonderful gifts that we will come to know the, the creator himself. Yeah. Um, uh, and so again, Zacchaeus climbing up that tree has made a choice to set aside the, the lower pleasures of this world so as to be drawn up to see the one who made all of these things and how beautiful it is. He then comes down, having, having encountered the Lord, he then comes to the table where he eats them, right? So it's not as though the Lord's saying, Oh, you have to reject all the good things of this world to see me. No, but you must pass by them in order to to encounter him or pass through them, if you will, through the branches of the tree, right? To pass through them 
recognize them for what they are, and that is good, but only in relationship to the creator. And having encountered the creator, we then can, can receive the good things of this world as an opportunity for communion with him. Yeah, that's our whole uh, journey of Lent. And it's our whole journey of Advent, which is which is so beautiful that this, this passage, these passages are given to us in this time of preparation in which we are in the remote preparation for Advent. Yeah, we're now what? A couple um, of weeks away from... Yeah, from the yeah, like a, like yeah. a month, right? Yeah. I mean, in and for in the in the Byzantine tradition, we're all, we're very it's very uh, very short here coming up because our Advent season is a bit longer. And it's as as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, we are also being called to realize he's coming. Yeah, he's going. the The feast of the Nativity is coming. Jesus is going to come to the to the throne of Bethlehem, and he's going to say to us. Come, I'm coming to your house, right? He's he's not not Bethlehem in in Judea, but Bethlehem in your heart. Is he's going to be born there if we're prepared and we're willing to get ourselves ready through fasting, through preparation, to receive the one who is going to feed us with the one thing that we truly do desire in this life, and that is communion with God. Well, I think the same could probably be said for almsgiving, which I'd like to to talk about in a way, looking at Zacchaeus's reaction here, Father. So I'm looking at what, verse eight through 10. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And then Jesus goes on to say that salvation has come to this house. I'm wondering if you can comment on the the importance of not just repentance because he's not just repenting of his wrongdoing he's actually making reparation as well well in fact i can't i didn't wasn't able to find it in for this study but there is one of the church fathers i was reading one time commenting on this passage and i don't know if it's in the greek text so i didn't do my research i should have done okay however it says that see what what zacchaeus is really saying is not as if I have done, but I will do. In mm. other words, the, he's a tax collector. He's a defrauder. Okay, is what he is. So of course, he's yeah. done this, right? But he's now going to go and make restoration in his life in these ways. And so, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Jesus, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give half of it to the poor. And if I defraud anyone, I'm going to restore it fourfold, right? So now Zacchaeus is not only making some kind of general observation, but he's making a commitment to the new life because he ha- he's a tax collector. He has done this. And now he says, I'm going to do this thing. So read this again in, in light of chapter 18 and the rich man who could not. Yeah. Zacchaeus says he, he, he will because now he's encountered the Lord has brought him he's now in his heart and now he's going to act as jesus would act yeah i want to one last thing about the the desire point because i i I wanted a quote from bishop nikolai who says this christ's presence is like that of some life-giving scented flower which restores health and gives life to the soul each of us my brethren is a house in which sin dwells while christ is far off and to which salvation comes as Christ draws near. 
Whether Christ is able or not to draw near to my house, to my heart and yours, depends on us. Okay, now I'm going to stop for a second because we're preparing now a distance for the feast of Christmas, the feast in the nativity. And the question is not whether Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. The question is whether he's going to be born into your life this coming Christmas. Yeah. And that, this good bishop says, depends on us. We seek him in order to find him and desire that he draw near to us and climb in spirit to meet his glance. Then he will visit our home as he visited the house of Zacchaeus and bring salvation with him. Draw near to us, O Lord, draw near. Finally, a quotation from Bishop Callistos Ware, speaking of Lent, because Bishop Callistos Ware is a, a Byzantine and an Orthodox bishop, and this text of the Zacchaeus is given to us as the first like preliminary gospel in preparation for Great Lent. Okay. Oh, cool. Speaking at Lent, but we can apply this also to Advent. Okay. So I'm going to change the word Lent to Advent, and I think it's helpful. If, as we prepare for Advent, there is a real eagerness in our heart, just as there was in the heart of Zacchaeus, if we have an intense desire for a clearer vision of Christ, then our hopes will be fulfilled during the time of Advent. Indeed, we shall, like Zacchaeus, receive far more than we expect. And so just to encourage you more is where this, this, this gospel stands here at that same time period, if you will, as it stands in the Byzantine tradition before Lent. Both of them are preparations to meet the Lord. Yeah. yeah. And if we want that, then we have to take, make, dra- take drastic steps in our life to prepare ourselves to climb that difficult tree to set aside the things, the attractions and the passions and so forth of this world so as to see Jesus. And then all will be given back to us, right, in their relationship with with the Lord. You've just led us seamlessly to St. Paul's letter, I think, about being Of course I have. Of course I I mean, did you do that on purpose? Did you read these ahead of time? I I think I might have taken a look, yeah. Shall we read Second Thessalonians? Yes, let's take a look. All right. This is chapter one, um, starting at verse 11. Brothers and sisters. Hold on. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. You got to give people a time to get there, Annie. And, you know, if you're driving your car, pull over, get your Bible out. All right. Sorry. Second Thessalonians. Sorry. Chapter one. It's in the New Testament, Catholics. Thank you. I was wondering. I was thinking that was, yeah. Okay. Chapter one. Yes. Verse 11. 11. Okay, go ahead. All right. Brothers and sisters, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and powerfully bring to fulfillment every good purpose and every effort of faith, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him in accord with the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you, brothers and sisters, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and are assembling with him, not to be shaken out of your mind suddenly or to be alarmed either by a spirit or by an oral statement or by a letter allegedly from us to the effect that the day of the Lord is at hand. So uh, what's going on in Thessalonica? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. what's going on here? I don't usually ask questions yeah. during, for the epistle, but 
what's going on here? Yeah, so the, because it's not just the Thessalonians, but of course they're waiting. They're, uh, Jesus is going to return. Is he going to return? There's this expectation, right? Yeah. And there's all sorts of false prophets running around disturbing the communities. And so particularly in Thessalonica in this case, but all over the, all over the Mediterranean, see all these communities, you got to realize that it's the, the world in those days was totally different than it is today. And there was crackpots running around all over the place. I mean, the time of Jesus, there were many guys claiming to be the Messiah. There were other guys around and, and that are mentioned in the gospel are running around, but there was a high expectation. And so this high expectation started to cause some concern or upset in the community itself. And obviously there are false teachers going around saying stuff. Some of those false teachers, by the way, were, or many of them were, well, we had the Judaizers, right? Mm-hmm. But we also had the Gnostic dualists who were telling people that the things of this created order were evil and they needed to escape the body so as to be with the Lord, right? And so St. Paul's having to deal with all these crackpots running around, upsetting the community. But I do believe that this text is actually very helpful for us regarding the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our assembling with him. And that is to always be ready by how we're living our life, which is what St. Paul's saying, right? Don't get all freaked out and friendly. Be worthy of the name of, a, of, of being a Christian, right? And powerfully bring to fulfillment every good purpose and every effort of faith that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him in accordance with the grace of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get upset by all a bunch of other things. For the presence of the Lord, whether he's coming in the second coming or coming at his at, when he came in Bethlehem, or as he's coming into your life today is, is in a sense the same, right? And so, and so we should always live in expectation. We should always live in communion. Yeah. For the presence of the Lord is now in our lives. Um, and so as we prepare for the coming of Christ in the flesh, the feast of the nativity, let us prepare by making sure he's present with us even now today. And I think that's what St. Paul's getting at with the churches is, is kind of placing before us. St. Augustine says, beautiful, he says, therefore, not to know the times is something different from moral decay and the love of vice. For when the apostle Paul said, don't be easily shaken in your mind, nor be frightened, neither by word nor by epistle as sent from us, as if the day of the Lord were at hand, he obviously did not want them to believe those who thought the coming of the Lord was already at hand. Neither, moreover, did he want them to be like the wicked servant and say, my Lord will not be coming uh, for a long time and deliver themselves over to destruction by pride or immoral behavior. Thus, Paul's desire that they should not listen to false rumors about the imminent approach of the last days was consistent with his wish that they they should await the coming of their Lord fully prepared and ready for the journey with lamps burning. My brothers and sisters, let us light our lamps. Let us make sure we trim all our wicks and fill it with oil, yeah? Make sure that we are prepared for the coming of the Lord. Not by going to Macy's and getting, you know, Costco and all this stuff and worrying about all these things that are ex- that are extra and not necessary. Get ourselves ready through fasting, through the example of Zacchaeus, through almsgiving, and through prayer. Then when the feast of the nativity comes, Christ truly will be born in our hearts. To Christ our God be glory, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. 
The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.